Chapter Three of the Ice Maiden and Other Tales by Hans Christian Andersen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ellie Cat. The Ice Maiden. Chapter Three. The Father's Brother. The people in the uncle's house looked, thank heaven, like those whom Rudy was accustomed to see. But one Cretan was there, a poor silly lad, one of the many miserable creatures who, on account of their poverty and need, always make their home among the families of Canton Valais, and remain with each but a couple of months. The wretched Superly happened to be there when Rudy arrived. Rudy's father's brother was still a vigorous hunter, and was also a cooper by trade. His wife, a lovely little person, had what is called a bird's face. Her eyes resembled those of an eagle, and she had a long neck entirely covered with down. Everything was new to Rudy, the dress, manners, and customs, yes, even the language, but that is soon acquired and understood by a child's ear. Here they seemed to be better off than in his grandfather's house. The dwelling-rooms were larger, the walls looked gay with their chamois horns and highly polished rifles. Over the doorway hung the picture of the Blessed Virgin, alpine roses, and a burning lamp stood before it. His uncle was, as we have said before, one of the most famous chamois hunters in the neighborhood, and also the most experienced and best guide. Rudy was to be the pet of the household, although there already was one, an old deaf and blind dog, whom they could no longer use. But they remembered his many past services, and he was looked upon as a member of the family, and was to pass his old days in peace. Rudy patted the dog, but he would have nothing to do with strangers. Rudy did not long remain one, for he soon took firm hold, both in house and heart. "'One is not badly off in Canton Valais,' said his uncle. We have the chamois. They do not die out so soon as the mountain goat. It is a great deal better here now than in the old times. They may talk about their glory as much as they please. The present time is much better, for a hole has been made in the purse, and light and air led into our quiet valley. When old, worn-out customs die away, something new springs forth, said he. When uncle became talkative, he told of the years of his childhood and of his father's active time, when Volet was still a closed purse as the people called it, and when it was filled with sick people and miserable Cretans. French soldiers came, they were the right kind of doctors, they not only shot down the sickness, but the men also. The Frenchmen can beat the stones until they surrender. They cut the Simplon road out of the rocks. They have hewn out such a road that I now can tell a three-year-old child to go to Italy. Keep to the highway, and a child may find his way there. Then the uncle would sing a French song, and cry hurrah for Napoleon Bonaparte. Rudy now heard for the first time of France, of Lyons, the large city of the Rhone, for his uncle had been there. I wonder if Rudy will become an agile chamois hunter in a few years. He has every disposition for it, said his uncle, and instructed him how to hold a rifle, how to aim, and how to fire. In the hunting season, he took him with him into the mountains, and made him drink the warm chamois blood, which prevents the hunter from becoming dizzy. He taught him to heed the time when the avalanches roll down the different sides of the mountain, at midday or at nightfall, which depended upon the heat of the rays of the sun. He taught him to notice the chamois, in order to learn from them how to jump, so as to alight steadily upon the feet. If there was no resting place in the clefts of the rock for the foot, he must know how to support himself with the elbow, and be able to climb by means of the muscles of the thigh and calf, even the neck must serve when it is necessary. The chamois are cunning, they place out guards, 
but the hunter must be still more cunning and follow the trail and he can deceive them by hanging his coat and hat on his alpine stick and so make the chamois take the coat for the man one day when rudy was out with his uncle hunting he tried this sport the rocky path was not wide indeed there was scarcely any only a narrow ledge close to the dizzy abyss the snow was half thawed the stones crumbled when trodden upon and his uncle stretched himself out full length and crept along each stone as it broke away fell knocked itself bounded and then rolled down it made many leaps from one rocky wall to another until it found repose in the black deep rudy stood about a hundred steps behind his uncle on the outermost cliff and saw a huge golden vulture hovering over his uncle and sailing towards him through the air as though wishing to cast the creeping worm into the abyss with one blow of his wing and to make carrion of him his uncle had only eyes for the chamois and its young kid on the other side of the cleft rudy looked at the bird understood what it wanted and laid his hand on his rifle in order to shoot it at that moment the chamois leaped his uncle fired the ball hit the animal but the kid was gone as though flight and danger had been its life's experience the monstrous bird terrified by the report of the gun took flight in another direction and rudy's uncle knew not of his danger until rudy told him of it as they now were on their way home in the gayest spirits his uncle playing one of his youthful melodies on his flute they suddenly heard not far from them a singular sound they looked sideways they gazed aloof and saw high above them the snow covering the rugged shelf of the rock waving like an outspread piece of linen when agitated by the wind the icy waves cracked like slabs of marble they broke dissolved in foaming rushing water and sounded like a muffled thunderclap it was an avalanche rolling down not over rudy and his uncle but near only too near them hold fast rudy cried he firm with your whole strength and rudy clasped the trunk of a tree his uncle climbed into its branches and held fast whilst the avalanche rolled many fathoms away from them but the air-drift of the blustering storm which accompanied it bowed down the trees and bushes around them like dry reeds and threw them beyond rudy lay cast on the earth the trunk of the tree on which he had held was as though sawed off and its crown was hurled still further along his uncle lay amongst the broken branches with his head shattered his hands were yet warm but his face was no longer to be recognized rudy stood pale and trembling this was the first terror of his life the first hour of fear that he had ever known late in the evening he returned with his message of death to his home which was now one of sorrow the wife stood without words without tears and not until the corpse was brought home did her sorrow find an outburst the poor cretan crept to his bed and was not seen all day but towards the evening he came to rudy and said write a letter for me superly cannot write superly can take the letter to the post office a letter for you asked rudy and to whom to our lord christ what do you mean and the half-witted creature gave a touching glance at rudy folded his hands and said piously and solemnly jesus christ superly wishes to send him a letter praying him to let superly lie dead and not the man of this house and rudy pressed his hand the letter cannot be sent the letter will not give him back to us it was difficult for rudy to explain the impossibility to him 
"'Now you are the stay of the house,' said his foster-mother, and Rudy became it. End of chapter 3